Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have given us um, these proverbs, these little snippets of wisdom, um, so that we can live lives that please you and and know what you require of us. Um, Lord, as we as we look at these different verses about justice, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to to know what true justice is and where to find it and and how to live it out. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So as most of you know, we have been going through a series in the book of Proverbs. Um, a couple of years ago, we started by going through the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. And uh, then we took a little bit of a break and we did a few other books in between. And now we're back in Proverbs and we're going through the rest of chapters 9 through to the end of 31. And if you've read chapters 9 through 31, any, any section of them, you know that Proverbs is not quite written like most other books. Most books in the Bible have some sort of flow to the book, you know, like they're either a story, a narrative, or they're like chunks of prophecy that, you know, there's a long chunk where the whole thing is talking about the same thing. But especially after Proverbs chapter 9, we don't get that at all. There might be some small chunks where there's one kind of theme, but as you read 10 through 31, those chapters of Proverbs, it's really separated and it seems really hectic as you're reading through it because you're just, it's just like drinking from a water hose, you know? Like there's lots coming at you and it's hard to swallow it all. So um, what we've done is we've been, we've divided up those verses into different topics and we've been going through all of those different topics and just seeing all the verses that talk about it and piecing it all together in that way to see what the Proverbs say about different things. So, for example, um, last week Brad preached on being a godly neighbor and friend. Um, before that, Jordan preached on being a godly son or daughter. Um, Josh preached on the topic of money and generosity and, and so on and so forth. And we'll be going through the book in that way throughout the rest of the summer and even into September. And today, as has been mentioned before, we are talking about justice. Um, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that word justice. There's a f- probably a few different things. Um, one of the first things I thought about was those people that we call social justice warriors. And we often make fun of those people who are fighting for some kind of cause, some people who they think are oppressed and aren't actually really being oppressed or they're fighting for them in the wrong way or that sort of thing. Um, You might think of stories in the news of people who have been um, brought to court because they've done some horrible thing and the news and the public are calling for justice um, to be done against this person or they're calling for justice to be done for the person against whom they did those things. Um, there's lots of different meanings for the word justice, and um, we're going to look through Proverbs and see what God has to say about justice. And uh, as we do that, we'll look at different, different places in the Bible that talk about justice, because you can't just look at one book and separate it from the rest of the Bible. You have to take it all together. Um, and then we're going to look at the New Testament and see see what that says about justice for us today as, as people who are in the New Covenant, followers of Jesus Christ. So when I was going through 
the book of Proverbs and finding all the verses for justice. And I was looking at them, and I, I saw kind of three major themes um, about justice. First is the theme of judicial justice. So that's the courtroom where people go to settle disputes when they've either been harmed or wronged in some way. And there's a judge that decides who's right and who's wrong and who needs to be punished for what was done. The second theme that I saw is what I'm going to call social justice, um, which is not quite what our society always means when, when we use that, that phrase. And then the third theme has to do with the person who is just. And what does it mean? What character traits do these people have who are the just and the righteous? So in each section, we're going to start in Proverbs and look at those verses, and then we'll maybe see some other passages from the Old Testament, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament um, within each section to see what it says about, about those things. Um, yeah. And then at the end, we're going to look to the one who is truly just and wholly just and carries out justice in this world and what we can learn from him. So our first section takes us to the courtroom. We're going to talk about judicial justice. So as you walked in, you should have gotten, or most of you should have gotten, a sheet that has a bunch of different passages on it. So we're going to be, um, it might be helpful for you to look at those because then you don't have to flip through your Bible back and forth, and that can be a little bit crazy. Um, so if you want, you can look at those. They should be in the order um, in which I mentioned them, so that might be helpful. So the courtroom. This is the place where the wicked are taken to be judged, where the innocent should find vindication. The courtroom is where people take their complaints against others, and the judge looks at all the facts and decides who is right and who was wrong, and who should be punished for it. So Proverbs has a few things to say about this setting. First off, according to Proverbs 22, verse 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Now this says that those who do not do what is right toward his brothers will be compensated with calamity. Things around them will fall apart. The rod of his fury will fail. Um, he's going to be angry because, you know, he's being judged for doing wrong, but his fury won't do anything. Um, he should be, and he will be, punished. So Proverbs says, the one who does injustice will be punished. Now, within this theme in Proverbs, most of the verses have to do with the, actual, the person who's actually doing the judging, the judge himself, um, the one who's deciding between the two people who have gone to court. Now, these passages speak to what courtroom justice should look like. Um, sometimes in Proverbs, we see verses of how the world actually is, such as the wicked prospering. You know, the wicked shouldn't prosper, but sometimes they do. Um, but for this, Solomon mostly says how things should be, what they should look like. So, for example, Proverbs seventeen fifteen. He, the judge, who justifies the wicked, and he who condemns the righteous, are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So the judge who says to the wicked person, you didn't do anything, you can go free, or who says to the righteous person, you did wrong, you need to pay this much money, um, both of them are an abomination to the Lord. Both of them are wicked people. So the wicked should not be let go without punishment, and the righteous should not suffer for something wrong that they didn't do. 
or like at 18 verse 5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Sometimes the wicked prosper and they use that prosperity to make sure that they get off clean. But it shouldn't be that way. The judge should be impartial. It doesn't matter if the person is wicked or righteous, they should get what they deserve. Or in 1726, to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. All of these speak to the judge and how he should be judging the people in his courtroom. He should make sure that the righteous are vindicated for the wrongs done against them and make sure that the wicked have to pay for their sin in some way. Now there's also Proverbs 19.19, which says that wicked people should be punished or else they'll continue doing what they were doing, and nothing will actually get better. Here's what it says. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So it says a man of great wrath should have to pay a penalty, or else if he, if he doesn't, he's just going to keep going on sinning and doing these awful things to his other people. If the judge doesn't do what's right, he's going to see that person in his courtroom over and over and over again. So that's what Proverbs has to say to the judge in the courtroom. But there's also wisdom for the other people in the courtroom, not just for the judges. Here's what 1928 says. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So if someone is called to witness in the courtroom, they should tell the truth, because if they don't, They're mocking at justice, and they will be judged for their mockery. The mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. The only thing coming towards him is more iniquity. Or 1817, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So often when we're listening to people's stories, and this happens in the courtroom, whoever goes first They're confident that what they're saying is the truth, and it seems like that way until the opposition comes and presents their case, and they say, actually, this happened, and actually, this happened, and actually, that's not true. And so you need both sides of a story to decide who's right. So let's turn to the New Testament to see what it says about courtroom justice. First, we'll turn to Romans chapter 13, and these aren't on your sheets. You'll have to actually turn there if you want. Romans 13, verses 2 to 4. It says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This passage tells us that as Christians, we ought to do good because God has put rulers and judicial systems and judges and police officers and so on and so forth in place for our good to reprimand us when we do wrong. We shouldn't complain when we're being punished, and we shouldn't try to change the judicial system for our, for our favor, because God put it there, and he is just. And he put it there so that justice would be done. 
And if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, it says this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law, that is the court, before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. So while Proverbs has lots to say about the judges and the courtrooms, Paul says that we shouldn't even be going to court against each other. We should be able to settle disputes among ourselves. We should be able to go to our brothers and say, you wronged me in this way. And they should apologize and and make things right. And if he isn't willing, well, then we can take it to the church and they should should be able to decide on matters between them. Or, even better, we can go to them and say, you've wronged me, yet I forgive you and you don't have to pay me back. This is the kind of justice that we find for ourselves in Christ and this is the kind of justice that we should have for each other. So that's judicial justice in a nutshell. The next section I've titled social justice. And like I said earlier, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase. Um, Maybe you think of things like the Black Lives Matter movement that was really popular a few years ago, which I think was important. Or maybe you think of people who are really passionate about bringing relief to the poor or freeing people from slavery or terrible labor situations or that sort of thing. Our society has different ideas and definitions for that phrase, social justice, and some of them are not right. But Proverbs only has one definition. Whatever else you think of when you hear that term doesn't really matter for this morning. Proverbs has quite a bit to say about how we treat each other and especially how we treat the poor and afflicted. Now there are, of course, questions that come to our minds about this. Like, how should we deal with racial tension in the church? Or what should we be doing about the millions of people who are caught in slavery around the world? And Proverbs doesn't necessarily say anything specifically about those situations. Now most scholars agree that the word for poor in Proverbs can also be translated as afflicted. So when Proverbs talks about the poor you can generally apply those same things to the afflicted and what it means to be afflicted, people disagree on. So it generally applies to a lot of situations and we don't have time to look at all of them this morning. So we'll just look at the one and I'll let you decide from there how that applies to other places. Or you can come talk to me afterward and I'd love to figure that out with you. Let's take a look at some passages here in Proverbs. So I'm just going to read a whole bunch in, in, in a row here, and then we'll, we'll look at what they, what they mean. 
starting in 1421. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly, 1823. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. That's 1917. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 2113. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. 1323. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. At 17.5. Whoever oppresses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. That's 14.31. And finally, 29 verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Now all these passages tell us how we should show justice toward the poor. We should hear them when they cry out. We should be generous toward them. We should lend to them willingly without expecting repayment or at least without expecting interest. We should allow them to work to provide for themselves. We shouldn't mock them or insult them because in doing those things, we do the same to our Lord, our Maker. Now, the Old Testament actually makes a lot about how we treat the poor and the oppressed and the afflicted. The Mosaic Law said that if anybody had to sell their land because they were in poverty, it had to be returned to them within seven years, or by the seventh year. Every seven years, any land that had been sold had to be returned to the original owner. The law was very concerned about the poor, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, um, the foreigner in our land. Consider this passage from Deuteronomy. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest you be an lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land." Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. That's Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11. And Deuteronomy 27, 19 says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. The law is very concerned with the poor and making sure that people who were in poverty had ways to get out of it. The Lord wanted to care for his people. And it wasn't just the law that was concerned for the poor. The prophets were concerned with them too, and often scorned Israel for forsaking their duty to the poor among them. Amos, for example, was a prophet who proclaimed God's coming judgment upon those who forsook justice. Amos 2, verses 6 and 7 says, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, 
because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Israel and Judah were not doing what was right. They were not doing what the Lord had commanded them to do, and they were not caring for the poor. In fact, they were making their situation even worse, and the Lord judged them for it. Or consider Isaiah 10, verses 1 to 4. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment, in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners, or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. God cares about the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner. They have certain rights, and they need to be upheld. And it is we who should uphold them. When we turn to the New Testament to ask these same questions, it is very much the same thing to say. The church should be concerned about the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the otherwise oppressed. Let's turn to Matthew 25, 35 to 40. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger or a sojourner, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Or listen to what the apostles say when they decide to elect deacons in Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will will appoint to this duty. See, the apostles cared for the poor among them. They wanted to preach the word, and they wanted to devote themselves to that. So they appointed people to care for the widows and the poor. And in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Let a widow be enrolled. So we're called and commanded even to bring relief to the poor and the needy and the oppressed. And it's as simple as that.
And that brings us to our third category, the person who is just. Proverbs has a fair bit to say about what kind of character the just person has. Firstly, the just person is honest. The just person tells the truth and does not deceive to get what he wants. Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And then 2017, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. The just person is also fair. 11.1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And 20.23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. And 16.11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's, All the weights in the bag are his work. A just person doesn't use trickery to get more than what he should or to pay less than what what he should. He's fair and he pays what things are worth and charges for things fairly. And finally, the just person is impartial and will not give or accept bribes. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. 17.8, and the wicked accept a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. That's 17.23. So the just person knows that a bribe is wrong and will not give or accept bribes in order for justice to be perverted. The just person will say no to personal gain so that justice can be done. So when we talk about a person being just, It means that he does what is right. It means he treats people how they should be treated and is uncorrupted. And this brings us to our fourth and final point. There is only one who is truly just, and we depend on him to make us just. As we've discussed all these things, I hope you've seen, as I have for myself, where we fail in all these things. I don't say that to make you feel bad or to make you feel like a sinner or whatever. We all know that we're sinners, but only to point out that none of us, none of us in this room, no human, could ever do these things perfectly. None of us can be perfectly generous to the poor all the time. None of us can um, practice perfect justice in the courtroom. Um, None of us is perfectly just in our own character. But there is one who is the best judge He perfectly provides for all people, whether rich or poor, and he fights for the cause of the oppressed, and he is honest, fair, and impartial. And I hope you know who this person is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the judge of all the earth, and he will judge perfectly all people when he returns. Jesus is benevolent toward the poor and the oppressed, and while he was on earth, he showed that because he often ate with those in society who were outcast and downtrodden, such as prostitutes or um, tax collectors or people who had nothing, um, lepers who were outcast because of their condition. Um, Jesus is fair, impartial, and honest. He is the truth. He cannot tell a lie. He judges each person appropriately according to what they've done and how they have served him. 
And, not, and even more importantly, he is not only perfectly just, but he perfectly justifies, as Romans 3.26 tells us. He has seen our sinful state because of his compassion and his justice. He gave up his own life so that we could be made just in God's sight. Because of this, we know what true justice is. We know what true justice is because we have received true justice from Jesus. And when we go out into the world seeking justice, we know what to look for. We know that we and all people are sinners in need of saving, and we know that the Lord's justice will come down on each person on the last day. It is from the Lord where we find true justice, as Proverbs twenty nine twenty six tells us. So when we talk about seeking justice in this world, whether it's judicial or social or just being a just, righteous person, we need to remember that these earthly values are not the most important thing. Yes, it's important to give to the needy. Yes, it's important to make sure that the courts are doing what's honest and fair. We're commanded to do these things many times throughout Scripture. But the relief of poverty will not be the salvation of the poor. The human punishments afflicted on the wicked will not be their salvation. The vindication of the righteous will not be their salvation. Even more than people need food, water, or for justice to be done in the courts, people need the gospel. So as we fight for the rights of the oppressed in our society, and yes, that includes the unborn, we always need to remember that the soul is more important than anything we can do for the body. Salvation is more important than food or water or money. So as you go from here, thank God for the justice that he has shown you in Jesus Christ, that he has chosen to punish his son for your sin and for your iniquity, rather than punishing you, which is what seems just to us. That he sees your poverty of spirit and has given you his spirit to dwell in you. And as you thank God for the justice that he has shown you, ask him to help you show justice to others, to give generously to the poor, to show grace and forgiveness when you were wronged, and most importantly, to share the good news of God's justice with the rest of the world. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a just and righteous and and truthful God. Lord, you are the truth, and you are justice. We thank you, Lord, for showing us justice in, in sending your Son um, and punishing him for the wrongs that we have done. Thank you for bringing us into your household. Lord, as we go from here, help us, Lord, to, to be just and to show justice and to share your justice with the world, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.